Let me go ahead and say happy Sabbath to everyone. It is an absolute privilege to be here with you all. I'm very grateful to have a chance to, that we can all study together. And uh, this is going to be a study. And I'll, I'll tell you in advance, based on the time, I want to do my best to honor the time that has been allotted. But because we're a little bit past the, uh, I guess, the regular time that uh, I might have gone up, we may not be able to finish the entire message. So I'm going to let you know that in advance. But we will do the best that we can. The Lord has a message for us, and uh, it has been entitled simply, Present Truth is Practical. Um, I've been doing ministry for many, many years, and one thing that I have learned is that a gospel that is not practical is a worthless gospel. If the only thing that the gospel can make you and I do is say, wow, amazing, deep, and we give all of these wowism type of responses, but at the end of the day, it's not transforming your life. It's not making you a better man. It's not making you a better woman. It's not making you a better husband or a better wife or a better mother or a father or a son or daughter. If it doesn't change us, then what's the point? God has given a message that is designed to bring transformation, but it requires one thing. And this one word is literally a word that can determine life or death for every single one of us in this room. While God has given us a message of transformation, it requires this one word. Cooperation. Without your cooperation, I dare to say, even God can become powerless in your life. Because God is a gentleman. You know what gentlemen do? When a gentleman wants to meet with his beloved, a gentleman knocks on the door and he waits to be invited in. A brute is someone that just busts the door open and say, here I am. <laughs> You know, God's not a brute. He's a gentleman. And that's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter three, it says, behold, I stand at the door and I do what? I knock. And then he says, if you let me in, Christ says, there is nothing that I cannot accomplish in your life. And that's why I'm telling you. The distance between life and death hinges upon that one word, cooperation. And my hope and my prayer is that each of us will have a spirit of cooperation with the Lord Jesus Christ, because I have no doubt that God is going to speak today. But let's make sure that we as the church have ears to hear what the spirit wants to say to us. And so I believe the best way to do that is upon our knees. And I'm going to kneel one more time for a word of prayer. You're welcome to kneel with me if you'd like. Otherwise, just bow your heads where you are. But we're going to have one more word of prayer just to prepare our hearts to receive the message. And then we will dive into our study. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gift of life that you've given to each of us, the ability to hear and to understand. Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you might minister to our heart needs and that you will open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray that you will make the truth plain today and help us to receive it within our hearts that we might, as a result of cooperating with thee, be transformed into the lovely image of Jesus. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. 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 I would imagine you didn't come to church without a Bible, so I'm going to ask you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to chapter 14. I want you to look at the Gospel of John. We're going to consider chapter 14. How many of you believe in Jesus? Can I see your hands? How many of you believe in Jesus? All right. Well, 
God sometimes tests our profession. And I believe he's going to do that with the word right now. You see, if we believe in Jesus, then this text of scripture must come to pass. Notice what the Bible says in John 14. And if you're there, let me know by saying amen. amen. We're looking at verse 12. In John 14, right there in verse 12, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that what? He that believes on me, it says, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus makes it very clear that the test to all believers is that if we truly are believers in Jesus Christ, then the works that he did will be the works that we do. That's very clear from the text, isn't it? Now, when it says that greater works that we shall do, that, that term greater is better translated in the Greek larger. And that makes a lot of sense. Because I used to think to myself, how in the world can I do something greater than Jesus? Jesus was the man. When he walked on this earth, who's going to do better than him? Because that's how we think when we hear the word greater. But the word greater is better translated according to the Greek as larger. Now, that makes sense because Jesus only ministered in a certain geographic area. But many of us, probably some of you under this roof, certainly me, we have gone to larger borders than Christ has gone. Isn't that right? Has Jesus ever been to Africa? His person? No. Has he ever been to Asia? No. You understand? There are places that he has not gone himself that through the power of his spirit, we are going. So we have larger reach with the gospel than Christ has, but there's nothing better that you and I can do than Jesus. Do you get that? Amen. Amen. So if we believe in Christ, the Bible is very clear. The works that he did would be the works that we will do. Well, now I want us to go to Mark chapter one, understanding that I want us to go to Mark chapter one, because I want to show you the works that Christ did. And I want to show you the context of the work that he did, because this should be the work that we do in Mark. We're looking at chapter one. It was John the Baptist that was on the scene, the forerunner. He was going forward and giving the message of the gospel to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And as John did his work, a time came where John was put in prison. And as it were, John had to take the spiritual baton that was in his hand of the gospel and he handed it over to Jesus himself. And I want you to see how the Bible articulates this in Mark chapter one. We're looking now at verses 14 and 15. The Bible says in Mark one, we're looking at verses 14 and 15. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee doing what? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus, when he saw prophecy being fulfilled, he went to work. Amen. You just read that. The Bible just said it as John was in prison. It says Jesus comes in. He's preaching the gospel. What was the basis of Christ preaching the gospel? He said the time is fulfilled. Didn't he say that? He said the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Now, if we believe in Jesus, we should work as he worked. You see, very few of God's people understand what time it is. It's one of our greatest distractions in this world today. 
This is just a depiction. I'm sure there may be some points that some will agree or disagree with. But all in all, this is an idea of, of what's going on, what has been going on in times past, where we are right now, and what is soon to come. And the reality is, is that every sign is pointing to the fact that Jesus is about to come. Probation is soon to close. You look at what's going on in the world of the atmosphere between fires and earthquakes and storms and all of these things happening in our land and all throughout the world. You look at what's going on in the political landscape. Brothers and sisters, if you see what's happening, especially with the Republican Party and how that push for Christian nationalism is being given in our world today. How in the world do you look at that and not see a connection between that and the principles of Revelation 13? How do you not see that? Individuals who are thinking we need to make, we're going to make America a Christian nation. God doesn't force people on anything. God is a free will God. In fact, the greatest way that God expresses his love is through free will. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, a precious little girl that I knew for at least about eight, 10 years. I believe that God is not the author of death. I don't believe that the Lord wants people to die unnecessarily and certainly not by suicide. But a few weeks ago, a precious 17 year old girl that I knew ended her life because of depression. And I thought to myself, God had all the power to stop her, didn't he? He could have stopped her, but he didn't. You see, the greatest expression of love from God is the gift of free will to give you a choice, to let you decide what to do or what not to do. Now, will he do everything possible to try to convince you not to do that which is bad and to convince you and I what to do of that which is good? Yes, he will. But God will not force his hand on anybody because once he does that, he becomes in part and parcel with Satan. Satan is the one that loves to cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the beast. That's what Satan loves to do is to force the conscience. But that's not our loving God. He loves you enough to let you choose death, even though he wants you to choose life. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, I call all heaven to record this day against you, that I present before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And then God concludes, choose life. That's God. He's never going to force you. But the reality is, is we have a whole party, a, a, a great number of people that are pushing to force America to become a Christian nation. Brothers and sisters, that is dangerous. It was dangerous when Nebuchadnezzar did it, and it's dangerous when any party or when any, group, any group of people try to do it today. But that's what's happening right now. That thing is right there in Revelation 13. Brothers and sisters, we are seeing death like we've never seen it before. Murders that are more and more senseless. No basis behind it. Nothing. Everything in this world is letting us know Christ is soon to come. Probation is soon to close. And the mark of the beast is right upon us. And we're supposed to be paying attention to the signs of the times. Looking at the scenes of last day events and understanding what we should do. Well, we just read it. We just read it. How many of you believe in Jesus? Jesus said, if you believe in me, the works that I do is the works that you will do. And even larger reach you'll have than even what I had. 
And we saw that when John went in prison, Christ comes along, takes the baton from John's hands and begins to preach the gospel and tell everybody the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And finally, believe the gospel. This is the great work that we are to do. And that work, that, that truth that we are to share is found in 2 Peter 1 in verse 12. I want you to turn your Bibles there with me. This is a term that many people use in religiosity. This is a term especially that many people use in Seventh-day Adventism. And uh, some of the times this term is used, it is perverted. But then there are some other times that it's used that is right on point. I promise you today, what you're going to learn is right on point. Second Peter chapter one. The Bible tells us this beautiful story of Peter as he's counseling the brethren and as he's walking them through what is often called the ladder of grace. You know, you start reading that right around verse four of second Peter one. And Peter starts talking about this ladder of grace, this this step by step process as we become more and more like God. Peter gets to the point that he has concluded this ladder and then he he makes something known that God wants to make sure is established in you and me. It's in verse 12. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, we're considering verse 12. And Peter concludes this point by saying, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be what established in what the present truth. It was that little old lady with a third grade education by the name of Ellen White. It was in her little book called Early Writings. It was on page 63 and it was under the chapter, The Messengers. You see, in one respect or another, we're all messengers. But then there are some whom God has called full time and has ordained into the ministry. And when the writings were given in early writings, page 63, it was a message to the messengers. And so whether you be a, you know, part time messenger, in other words, you have some job or business that you're running, but you're trying to run Christian principles through your job or business. This still applies to you. But how much the more those who have dedicated and consecrated themselves unto the Lord. Full time to work for him. She said there are many precious, I'm quoting early writings, page 63. She says there are many precious truths contained in the word of God. But it is present truth that the flock needs now. I want to repeat that again. It's in this wonderful little book, early writings, page 63. She says there are many precious truths contained in the word of God, but it is present truth that the flock needs needs now. When Christ came, he came with a message of present truth. And as we are going to work as Christ worked, we must carry forward the message of the present truth. But the reality is, is for many of us, when we think about this term present truth, 
we have to qualify it and we have to make sure we understand it because there's a lot of things that are being called present truth and there's some things that's not being called present truth that is present truth and there's a lot of things that's called present truth that's not present truth. And it's confusing the camp. Depending on certain parts of America that I have the privilege of traveling, I meet people sometimes and they look at me with suspicion if they don't know me. You know you're not supposed to do that? That's mean. <laughs> Why are you looking at people with suspicion? Man, you need to treat everybody like a child of God and let them prove themselves guilty before you start treating them like they're guilty. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody walk up to you and you and I like, can I help you? You know, looking them up and down and all this stuff. It's like, leave them alone. Be nice. <laughs> Just be nice. Hey, friend, how you doing? And then when they do something crazy, then we can be like, okay, now... And, and now we can do that because they've deemed themselves guilty. But sometimes I go to certain parts of our lovely country of the United States of America, and sometimes I travel, and for some reason I especially get this when I go to the South. And sometimes people who don't know me, they'll come to me and they say, hey, brother, how you doing? See, that's a signal right there. I already know. All right, I'm in trouble. They size me up. And they'll say, got a question for you. And I'll say, what's your question? Are you present truth? And I'm like, what do you mean am I present truth? Now, I already know where they're going, but sometimes I like to act dumb. So sometimes I know where they're going, but I'm like, you know what, I'm going to mess with your head a little bit. I'm like, what do you mean by present truth? And I already know where they're going. And sometimes I help them see how much they don't know. Now, when I do that, I don't do that with the purpose of condemning. I firmly believe that God has given to me. I believe he gave it to you too, but I'm just going to speak for me. I know God has given to me the ministry of education, not the ministry of condemnation. So I don't go around condemning folks. If I see somebody do something ignorant or crazy, rather than me condemning them, I'll just say, oh, this is an opportunity for education. And then I'll just go ahead and educate them and help them come out of foolishness into God's marvelous light. I'd like to encourage you to join me in that ministry. The reality is, is we're living in a time where people don't really know what present truth is. That's why what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it is. What is present truth? How can we understand it so we can make sure we're making right applications and most importantly, taking this theory, watch that word, taking this theory and making it practical. Because God does not want you and I to have a religion that stays in the realm of the theoretical. He wants us to take our religion from the head to the heart. He wants us to learn how to make it practical. Now, when I think about this term present truth, what I had to do is start breaking it down. So this is what I found. When you look up the word present, now I'm not going to Webster's Dictionary for this. This I'm going to directly to the Bible. I'm going to the original languages. I'm trying to go right to the source. All right, Lord, what does this term present mean? So you just read in 2 Peter 1 and verse 12 where it said present, truth. Well, what does the word present mean? All right, well, that's the Greek on it, right? Now, I like those two points here, to be near, but also to be at hand. There is a difference. To be near means it's coming. At hand means it's here. Okay, you follow that? So present can be applied in either one of these cases. That which is near or that which is here. You following? 
Now, examples of that is Matthew 3. Let's go to a couple of these verses. Go to Matthew chapter 3. I want us to look at this. This is a study, okay? This is a study we're doing. It's not so much me just simply preaching. I want us to do some teaching, and I want us to go to some verses. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Let's notice what the Bible says here. In Matthew 3, let's go ahead and let's consider verse 2. Matthew 3, and we're looking at verse 2. The Bible says in Matthew 3, And verse 2, the message from John the Baptist, it says, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Now, when something is at hand, is that near or is it here? It's here, right? Now, somebody may say, what in the world is that talking about? The way that you can qualify that, because we know the kingdom of heaven, as many of us understand it, the place with no more death, sorrow, pain, and the rest, we know that that's still future tense. Isn't that right? But... There's a context to this that is not future tense, but it's present tense. So let's look at this. Luke helps us in Luke 17. Go to Luke 17 now. And let's notice what the Bible says in Luke, the 17th chapter in verse 21. In Luke 17, we're considering verse 21. And we will see now how God gives us a bit of a better understanding. Because there's a context to the kingdom of heaven that is near. But there's a context to the kingdom of heaven that is here. In Luke 17, in verse 21, there's something very interesting that Christ said. And I want us to see it. It says... Well, let's look at 20 and 21. It says, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. You ever remember reading um, in the book of Hebrews chapter four? where Jesus talked about how we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but we have this high priest, Christ, who can relate. He's been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You ever read that in Hebrews 4, right there, 15 and 16? Do you remember what he said as a result of that? He said, as a result of the fact that you have a high priest in heaven that can relate to our temptations and our struggles and trials, Christ says, therefore... Let him come boldly to the throne of grace. Did you know you can't have a throne unless you have a king? Is that right? That's the only people that sit on the throne is the kings. And you can't have a king without a kingdom. Isn't that right? Jesus was literally referring in Hebrews 4 to a kingdom that we can come boldly to right now. And that's called the kingdom of grace. There's a kingdom of glory that is soon to come where it's going to split the heavens open and it's going to light the earth up with the glory of God. But there's a kingdom of grace that you and I can enter into right now. And we can receive that. And that's the kingdom that was within them that Christ was referring to. So again, the ideology is that there is a kingdom Or there is a truth that is here right now, but then there's also that which is to come. In Joel 2, in verse 1, we can get an idea of that which is to come. That is a kingdom coming. Let's go to Joel 2 and look at verse 1. We're going to break this thing down. And I promise you, we are ever so on appetizers right now. The meat is coming, so just buckle up. So, Joel, we're looking at chapter 2, and I want us to see it. Joel 2, and we're looking at verse 1. In Joel 2, in verse 1, 
This is where we know it is near something that is coming, not here. In Joel 2, in verse 1, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for it is nigh at hand. So there are times that the term present can mean here. There are times that the term present can mean near. Now, understanding that, the word truth means truth. What it meant. <laughs> That's what it is in the, in, in, the, in the Greek. Truth simply meant truth. Okay? So watch this. First lesson on present truth. Present truth is truth that is for the time also showing what is near. Are you following that? Now remember, the reason why this is important is because there are many precious truths contained in the Word of God. But it is what? Present truth that the flock needs now. What is present truth? Truth that is for the time and showing what is near. This is what people need right now. They need truth that fits the time as well as truth that shows what is near to come. This is the work that Christ has called you and I to do, to share the truth that is for the time. And the truths that show what is soon to come. Now watch this. The days of Noah were beautiful examples of this. Now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to allow you, if you want, you can take your phones out, you can take pictures, take your notes. I hope you're taking notes. But I'm not going to have us turn to each of these verses. And the reason why is because it's going to eat up a lot of the remaining time, of which I want to get to some more meaty points of our study, okay? So please understand. So just write it down. Genesis 6 and verse 17, the days of Noah. In Genesis 6 and verse 17, Noah told the people, a flood is about to come that is going to destroy the people that are outside of the ark. Therefore, you need to get into the ark, okay? Now, th this is very important. We are really studying present truth, okay? We know that present truth is truth that is for the time and also showing what is near or soon to come. In the days of Noah, Noah was a preacher of present truth because Noah told them there's a flood that is getting ready to come. There's an ark that is being built to provide safety. Get inside the ark. You will be, watch my words, saved. If you don't get inside the ark, you will be Lost. Now, that's Noah's day. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the days of Lot, in Genesis 19 and verse 24, again, a message is given. Fire and brimstone is soon to come down from heaven. It is going to consume the, inhabit the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, let us get out of here so that we are not consumed. That's what you read in Genesis 19 and verse 24. My, 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 ancient Babylon. In Jeremiah 25, 1 through 11, the prophet Jeremiah gave a message. The kingdom of Babylon is coming. It is going to take us captive. If we cooperate with the king, we will live plant gardens, build houses, and continue to maintain our communion with God. If we rebel, we will die. That was Jeremiah 25, verses 1 to 11. All right? 
Again, ancient Jerusalem. Matthew 24 and verse 2, the prophet of all prophets, Jesus Christ. Jesus told them, you guys are so busy adoring this temple, not understanding that soon this temple will be destroyed and there will not be left one stone upon another. Therefore, when you shall see the abomination of desolation, get out. Are y'all following? I hope you're seeing the common thread because we're about to get the next layer of understanding present truth. Jesus told them, when you see it, get out. So what did we see connected with Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, ba ba the, the message of the Babylonian captivity and the warning of Christ speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Not only is present truth which is truth that is for the time showing what is near, but present truth, it must be truths that impact our salvation. We don't waste time preaching stuff that don't uh, uh, impact our salvation. It's a distraction. Noah's message, did it impact their salvation? The message to Sodom and Gomorrah, did it impact their salvation? The message to Jerusalem when they were getting ready to go on to Babylonian captivity, did it impact their salvation? The message of Jesus, when he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, etc., did it impact their salvation? Yes. Remember that present truth is truth that is for the time showing what is near, but it also must be truths that impact our salvation. Stop being distracted, beloved. Sometimes we get caught up in a whole bunch of subjects that have nothing to do with our salvation. And the devil loves doing that to us. He loves messing with our head. What does this have to do with my walk with God? How does this help me better get, know, get, get to know Jesus? How does this help bring about the transformation to allow me to be an occupant of heaven? How does this push away my Savior? We start making heaven and hell off of bottles of water. I remember one time I went to a camp meeting. And, um, no, I, 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 yeah, I think it was me, man. And, you know, camp meeting... And the brother saw somebody drinking out of a certain bottle of water. I can't make this stuff up. It's too ridiculous. <laughs> and this brother, like, calmly comes up to one of my buddies and says, hey, brother, um, you know, as believers in present truth, we shouldn't be drinking that bottled water. You know, because that bottled water has uh, BPA in it. And, and, you know, he started going, you know, you need to drink this bottle of water. And that thing got BPA in it, too. And it, it was like, it was like, man, we, we turn everything into a heaven and hell subject. And, and you know who, do, who does that? Present truthers. Seriously, a lot, they, they will make, everything is heaven and hell now. I remember once upon a time, there was the no tie movement. Seriously, there are certain people who believed in the upper echelons of present truth. You know, they were the present truthers of present truthers. <laughs> And if they saw a brother wearing a tie, they'd say, that brother doesn't understand present truth. <laughs> they literally do that. And they would say, yo, you're wearing a phallic symbol. And, and again, everything, beca everything became heaven and hell. And I see Satan just sitting back just saying, look at how we have these people. While they're not focusing on how mean and ugly their characters are. They're worrying about somebody wearing a tie or not. And they're literally measuring the size of the woman's heel. Now, don't get me wrong. 
We have counsels that are loving messages from God where he says, hey, even down to the heel, it should be this height or whatever. You know why? Because God already understood a lot of the problems that sisters are suffering because of the high heels and all this stuff. So God would put some of this stuff in counsel. Again, it wasn't to try to bring about condemnation. It was to try to bring about blessings. A lot of the principles in health and dress reform and all these other things is for our happiness. But a lot of us have taken it and we use it as this weapon now. And we begin to make this the all-encompassing subject, which really isn't. Amen. Present truth is truth that is for the time, that also shows that which is near, and it always are based on subjects that impact our salvation. Be careful of the distractions. But let's continue. You see powerful truths about Jesus. Do you love him? Is it your desire to be like him? I have to admit that every time I look at Jesus, I find him to be more and still more attractive. I find him to be just one that I want to be like. Someone that I want to learn to talk like. Someone I want to learn how to walk like and to, and to minister like. It's like when I see Christ, I see a flaw. And you know, as a man, I am, I am all three phases of a man. Number one, I'm just a man. Number two, I'm a father. And number three, I'm a husband. And in all of those contexts, it's like, Lord, I am positioned to be a man of men. And so I'm asking you to please help me behold Christ in such a way that I learn how to be a good husband, learn how to be a good father, learn how to be a good man. And I'm telling you the truth. The more that we begin to look at Jesus, you see a man of all men. You see someone that is worthy of our worship. And when I look at Jesus, these are some beautiful truths about him. Number one, Christ said, I am the way. And he said, I am the. You see, when Christ is in you and Christ is in me, the hope of glory, you don't just have present truth. You have the presence of the truth right inside your heart. You understand that? The author. Here it is that Jesus says, I am the truth. Continually, he says, very, verily, or I'm telling you the truth. So not only was Christ the truth, but whatever he told us was the truth. You know, Jesus never lied to us. I get it. I have been victim of this myself. Satan's master temptation is to confuse his voice with Jesus. He loves to express his thoughts and make us think that it's Christ talking. Satan says, I hate you. Some of us walk around saying, God hates me. Satan says, you're worthless. People actually go around saying, Jesus thinks I'm worthless. Satan constantly tries to mask his voice under the voice of Christ himself. But Jesus says, no, that's a lie. I remember one time I was going through some nasty, nasty depression. I never went through depression before in my life until 2016. And then that year came, man, and I was a bona fide mess. And I could not distinguish the voice of God from the voice of Satan. And I remember one time I kept hearing a voice tell me, you're going to die. You're going to die. I mean, I would hear, you're going to die. I had to hear like 500 to 1,000 times in a day. You're going to die. You're worthless. Probation is closed. It's too late for you. Other people could be saved, not you. And so it's, it's making me tank. And I remember that as I was sitting in a hotel 
at the edge of the bed, hearing that voice telling me, you're going to die. You're worthless. You're this, you're this, you're this. And I'm listening to it. I remember I just cried out to God, tears in my eyes and everything. I cried out. I said, Lord, please speak to me. Give me a word of encouragement. And all of a sudden, that voice that I kept hearing was gone. It was quiet. And then I heard this. And this is not a lie. Why would I lie to you? I wouldn't lie to you. The next thing I heard was, you want to know what I think? And I sat quietly and I heard it again. You want to know what I think? And all I said was, yes, Jeremiah 29, 11. <coughs> Just like that. I went to Jeremiah 29, 11. These are the thoughts that I think toward you. Amen. Thoughts of peace and not of evil and to give you an expected end. Amen. Satan, truly great controversy 519 is right. Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Satan's master plan is to get you and I so discouraged that we keep our Bibles closed and we keep standing rather than kneeling. That is his master plan. But here goes Jesus all along saying, listen, I am the truth and I'm not like Satan. I will never lie. I will always tell you the truth. Verily, verily. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. I say unto you, he that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So powerful truths about Jesus. One, he is the truth. Number two, he always tells us the truth. Number three. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Question. Does that mean that Jesus also preached and taught present truth? What do you think? Was he teaching truth that was for the time? Was he teaching truths of what is near? Did he also teach truths that affected people's salvation? So you mean to tell me that Jesus is our model of preaching present truth? Do you believe that? Jesus is our model of living present truth. Do you believe that? Oh, good. So we're going to have a wonderful time at the conclusion of our study. You see... If you and I understand that everything that Christ did in his ministry on earth from that age of 30. Now, he was ministering beforehand, but he started his public ministry at the age of 30. His public ministry from the age of 30 to 33 and a half, that public ministry of Christ was a demonstration of present truth. Do we agree with that? Oh, man, we're going to have a good study, man. Y'all ready for this? You remember in Luke 14, Jesus announces his present truth ministry. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That was the present truth ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, the more that I zoomed in on this lifestyle of Jesus, I want you to watch this. I noticed that he would always do this 
paralleling. He would, he would set the blind free, but there was a literal context to it. Like in John nine, people who were literally blind, but then there was this spiritual context to it. Like John 12, where people were spiritually blind. He came to deliver them from both. Then feeding the hungry. There was a literal feeding hungry people in John six, but then there was a spiritual feeding of those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. All of this was the demonstration of present truth ministry. Amen. Amen. This one got my attention. Let's go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. We got to get ready to wrap it up. I'm going to get through what I can and then I will go ahead and stop. Matthew 15. 21 through 28. And I thought to myself, wow, this is also part of the ministry of present truth. Because remember, present truth is practical. In Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28, the Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And then it says in verse 23, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, we read past this story very fast. But the truth of the matter is, is when you study this, this woman was a Canaanite woman. She was a non-Jew. And she came to Jewish people and asked for help. And when she asked for help, I don't know if you walked through those stories, at least four times she suffered some pretty serious psychological wounds. At least four times. The first time was in verse 23, when she said to him, Lord, please help me. My daughter is vexed with this spirit, etc." The Bible says Jesus didn't even answer her. I mean, imagine that somebody's coming, please, please help me. And then he just looks at you and just doesn't even answer you. Wound number one. What was wound number two? Then the disciples come along. The disciples said, Lord, make her go away. That was wounds number two. Wound number three, Jesus says, listen, I didn't come for your people. I came for my people. I care more about my people. I don't care about your people. I didn't come for your people. She responds and says, all all she could say after all that desperate cutting and hurting and emotional wounding, you know all that she could say next? Lord, help me. Jesus responds back, wound number four. It is not appropriate to give the master's food to dogs. But this woman, because she was other-centered, you see, she wasn't focused on herself. Hold up, what you call me? He, he didn't, she didn't go there. She was other-centered. She was focused on her daughter. 
And she said, I'll suffer any wound just to make sure that my beloved gets the healing she needs. So she's not getting caught up in self. So when she said, when he called her a dog, literally, he, she responds like, huh. Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Jesus could not hold it back anymore. Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Do you know there's two times in the Bible Jesus called somebody's faith great and they were both non-Jews? The centurion in Matthew 8, when Jesus turned it, I haven't found such great faith, not even in the house of Israel. And now he's saying to this other non-Jew, great is your faith. He hardly could say that about his own people, his own seven-day Adventist brethren. Why did Jesus go through all of that? Because Jesus had a mission to teach the disciples something. Jesus knew that the disciples was battling with something. You know what the disciples were battling with? Well, watch this. Lesson number four. Present truth always addresses present issues. When you look at the whole ministry of Christ, Jesus always took the principles of present truth to address the issues in society that were present in his day. You know, an issue that was present and it could affect people's salvation and the people needed to hear it. Racism. You see, if you really believe present truth, you do the works that Christ did. You don't ignore the issues of racism that's in society. You don't ignore the issues of racism that is in the church. You address it. You fight it. You teach against it. You preach against it. You work to do everything you can to say, how can we make sure that that poison does not enter the ranks of God's remnant? Present truth is practical. Present truth addresses present issues. It doesn't turn a blind eye to it. It doesn't ignore it and leave it up to the White House to take care of it. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I am a proponent of things like Black Lives Matter and White Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Let them do what they do. But none of that is the solution. But God gave the solution to us. You know why I know that? Because I read a little book called Ministry of Healing. You ever heard of it? In that little book, Ministry of Healing, page 363, the book Ministry of Healing says the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. There is something in the gospel that can address the issue of racism. But what if the remnant are not even talking about it? We think we're doing enough and I'm not here to put down. I am not here. I am one who does it myself. I am not here to put down the importance of doing revelation seminars and prophecy seminars. But we have to understand that's the beginning of our work, not the end of it. We got to know how to go into society and meet the people where they're at so we can help enlighten their minds that there is a message for every nation, kindred, tongue and people. But brothers and sisters, that's a little hard to do when they come in and they notice white conferences and black conferences. They might say that looks like segregation. What's going on there? They're going to begin to wonder 
Why is it that the people of God seem to be chanting the same noise that a lot of these right wing, off balance, dangerous Republican folks pushing Christian nationalism? Why is it that there's people that's in this remnant church that are also giving the same message? Amen, angels. <laughs> present truth is practical. Present truth deals with present issues. We don't follow the world. The world follows us. We are the head and they must be the tail. We are the ones that are supposed to be showing this is how you deal with it. You see, at the heart of racism is the heart. All of us are like dust. God doesn't care if it's brown dust or white dust or yellow. We're all dust. And if that, if that truth could impact our minds, wow, what changes people could see to say, wow, these folks really believe their message. But not only that, it would prompt us to action, to do things that could bring about effective change. You see, you remember in Genesis 41, uh, what I got? I got 40. Five more minutes, maybe? Is that all right? About five minutes? All right, watch this. Five prophetic minutes. Now, <laughs> verse 40. Now, I'll be respectful. I got you. In verse 40 of Genesis 41, right? right? You remember this? Thou shalt, talking about Joseph, thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Verse 41, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Verse 43, and he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. God took a man that followed him and eventually through a series of circumstances allowed him to be in a position that he could now rule the land and make laws for righteousness. How about this, Daniel? Daniel 2, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king. Daniel was smart. Then Daniel requested of the king. He said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Daniel was smart. Daniel got put in position and immediately he says, let me get my boys in. And then he gets his guys in there and he says, all right, guys, let's rule righteously. Amen. Now, they were under circumstances of slavery. We're not even slaves. So if they could do it under the hardship of slavery, how much the more should we be doing this under the beauty of freedom? <laughs> I wonder. We talk a lot about Ellen White and always, you know, saying, making her sound so stringent. Here's something Sister White said that I thought was pretty liberal. Dear youth, what is the aim and purpose of your life? Are you ambitious for education? Are you, are you ambitious for education that you may have a name and position in the world? Have you thoughts that you dare not express, that you may one day stand upon the summit of intellectual greatness, that you may sit in deliberative and legislative councils and help to enact laws for the nation? What if we could have young people that are going into the schools so they could play a part in getting rid of laws that makes it easier for police brutality? 
What if we could have young people that could get into these places and go into schools that they can receive educations and be put in a position to help enact laws to make sure that there's not an overbearing excess of authority to not allow civilians to get away with things either? What if that could be placed? I wonder what she says about such goals and ambitions. She says, there is nothing wrong in these aspirations. You may, every one of you, make your mark. You should be content with no mean attainments. Aim high and spare no pains to reach the standard. Wow, what if we could encourage our young people? Hey, why don't you go ahead and be a game changer in our world? We see evil that's going on. Some of it's in high places. For some areas, we need to just go ahead and minister to people and reach the heart. But in other areas, some of our young people have been anointed, called of God, that we can go ahead and encourage them to go into paths that one day they can enter legislative halls. And they can help enact laws for righteousness like Daniel and like Joseph. Brothers and sisters, God is trying to say present truth is always practical. Present truth addresses present issues. It doesn't ignore it. It's not an ostrich that sticks its head in the sand when there's some drama going on. We care too much about us and ours, just like the Jews of old. But Jesus says that we should care about the others. What can we do? Now, watch this. I got two minutes. Watch this. Every time I come out here, in the San Bernardino area, I see more and more homeless. The hotel I'm staying in right now, that's the first time in my life that I went to a hotel door during the day and it was still locked and I had to wait for the lady to come to buzz the door to let it in. I said, what in the world? I, I told my wife, I said, honey, I said, I've never seen this before. They still got the doors locked and it's daytime? It's like one o'clock. But here it is. The reality is, is that unemployment, homelessness and all these other things, it's real. It's terrible. Did you know God gave us these powerful books on helping the poor and unemployed? God literally said, rather than just simply driving our cars, seeing everybody on the streets and going, mm, and some of us don't even care enough to go. Mm. Some of us have learned how to treat them like invisible people, right? We don't even see them anymore. We just keep driving. Don't whisper a prayer, nothing. And here it is. We got books that are telling us this is how you can minister to the poor. This is how you can take present truth and make it practical to the society that you're in. These are the books that were given to us. Now, did you know one of the ways that we could help people? Did you know God's blueprint was that we should be teaching trades? Today, the educated man and woman looks down on trades. Heaven looks up. Teaching people trades. As a matter, here's where it gets kind of sad. Did you know, despite rising salaries, the skilled labor shortage is getting worse? Where there are many jobs unavailable for graduates, there are many trades organizations that are still availing themselves, teaching and helping others. We... The pupils of these schools, talking about the School of the Prophets, the pupil of these schools sustain themselves by their own labor in tilling the soil or in some mechanical employment. In Israel, this was not thought strange or degrading. Indeed, it was regarded a crime to allow children to grow up in ignorance of useful labor. 
By the command of God, every child was taught some trade, even though he was to be educated for holy office. Many of the religious teachers supported themselves by manual labor. Even so late as the time of the apostles, Paul and Aquila were no less honored because they earned a livelihood by their trade. Brothers and sisters, I have to stop, but I promise you, I don't want to. No, no, no. I, I don't, I don't want to mess y'all up. And then everybody's going to say, see, Dwayne Lemon messed up Advent Hope. It's like, I didn't mess up anything. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> but uh, y'all let me know. If I can keep going, I will go. Are you sure? Leadership. Okay. All right. Beloved, God wants us to understand the beauty of trades. It was part of the principles of true education. There's nothing wrong with higher education because we just saw earlier that some of us could be trained to work in legislative halls and all of that. So there's obviously a place for that, but too many of us have looked down on and have zipped ourselves tight on the beauty and the power of trades. And one of the best things, family, and I speak, you see how we had Sabbath school, we're talking about debt and all this stuff. My wife and I have a country home just a few hours from here. We live in Northern California and we got ourselves a beautiful little country retreat and Truly, I said to myself, I wish I knew these truths before I was 20 or whatever the age may be. I'm standing before you in next month. I'm 51. But it's like, you know, I didn't get to learn these truths. And here it is that when we had to have our house renovated, man, I thought to every time I'm watching these brothers do stuff and I'm just like, see, I should know how to do that. You know, seriously, I'm beating myself up on it. I'm like, man, I, I wish I knew how to do that myself. So what am I doing? I had to go into some debt so that I can go ahead and get that done so I could have a home to live in. And I'm thinking to myself, truly, Lord, your plan works. It's like, if only we understood that. Some of you, especially in your younger years, you would do well to know some trades. You would do well to get that education. You'd be amazed at what it will do for you personally as well as what it can do for you financially in troublesome times. Y'all did hear that we are headed towards another recession this year or early next year. That's going to change life for all of us. And so all the joys and blessings we have now, we got to be prepared to possibly see something different. Inspiration makes it clear. This is God's plan. Teach the people trades. Now, what if we can get some of these brothers and sisters off the street? What if we could minister to them? Maybe we can't afford to pay for college, but maybe we can pay way less expensive to help support them to learn trades. Can you imagine somebody saying, today, I am a tradesman. I make my own money. I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have an understanding of the gospel. I live a healthy lifestyle. And it was because of some of these people from Advent Hope who came to help me out. Rather than just seeing me on the street and going... God wants us to understand, beloved. He's given us a plan. Present truth is practical. God has always given us the present truth to understand and to demonstrate. Not just to understand. You can't go to somebody and say, the 2300-day prophecy, this is what it's going to do. That brother's like, I'm hungry. I need to eat. <laughs> My brain can't even understand this whole 457 to 1844. God wants us to understand that present truth is practical. This is an example. It's a buddy of mine. You know what he did with some of his money? He's not a rich man. He's not a rich man at all. 
He knew that there was a lot of guys that was going into the prison system that were not being rehabilitated. So you know what he did? He took some of his, he took his credit, took some of his money, and he bought a house right there in DeKalb County. And he bought a house and he dedicated the house to letting prisoners, when they come out, they would move into that house. There would be stipulations. For every prisoner that would move into that house, they would have to cooperate with the program. It was all contracted. He would then begin to help people to come out of the prison and learn finances, learn business principles. If they were uneducated, he would help them get educated, how to read, how to write, how to understand and do math and all these other things. He would begin to teach them how to eat healthy and to live healthy lifestyles in harmony with God's laws of health. They would have to sit in Bible study every single week, and they would teach the first, the second, and the third angel's message. In the end, he had people who came in Muslims and left Seventh-day Adventists. He had people who came in total heathens, and they ended up leaving saints, even patient saints, that are willing to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What did it take? It took some courage. It took some risk, and it took a lot of love. But he took the present truth and he made it practical. He started to put it into practice, following God's counsels and allowing it to touch and change the lives of many individuals today. Today, human trafficking. Do you realize that every time you go to the airport, you're more than likely having somebody walk by you that's a slave? California is one of the hot spots where a lot of human trafficking passes through us. California, Honduras, they're hot spots. What are we doing to help these folks? We're told, according to the FBI, 57.5% of all juvenile prostitution arrests are black children. Though, or through a two-year review of all suspected human trafficking incidents across the country, 40% of sex trafficking victims were identified as black women. In an interview with the Urban Institute, traffickers admittedly believe trafficking black women would land them less jail time than trafficking white women if they were caught. This is all true. Now again, we could say, I don't care, that's not my people. But I'm just saying, if you got that attitude, enjoy earth because heaven will not be your home. There's no way that we could say, man, that's messed up for them and move on in the spirit of carelessness. God says we all got to care about each other because we're all family. We're all children of God. And here it is that this is a reality that is happening right now. I put the sources there for you. Did you know 600,000 to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders every year, according to the U.S. State of Department of 80% are female and half are children? This one shocked me. This one was so sad. Two million children, the majority of them girls, are sexually exploited in the multi-billion dollar commercial sex industry. And one in four slavery victims are children. Total, 40.3 million modern-day slaves today. This is, this is a reality that's all around us. And the question is, what could we do about it, right? Sex trafficking? Forget about it. I'm just going to go ahead and go past these, these, these statistics because they're just daunting. Look at the top three. Top three countries of origin of victims identified in the U.S., United States, Mexico, and Honduras. Top three. 
and California is one of the top areas in the United States. Now, here are the methods of recruitment. You need to know that, especially to you parents out there. You need to know that. Top recruitment is online, 42.5%. Pre-existing relationships, friends. I watched the documentary on, on uh, Epstein, and one of the things that got him these 500 girls was using other girls to get their friends. Get your friends to come by, and I'll give them $200. And so pre-existing relationships is how a lot of young people that are misguided, tired of religion, don't think that God is real, or at least he doesn't really care about them. And then they end up going ahead and doing something risky that can change the trajectory of their lives forever. And all along, here we are, the recipients of present truth. And God says, oh, so you think all I wanted you to do is preach to everybody. God says, I called you to minister even to them. Continuing, what can we do? Number one, get educated. I would like to encourage us. Seriously, somebody might say, you know what? I am convicted. Maybe I've been a little bit self-consumed. Maybe I am just worried about me and myself and I. And maybe I do need to step out a little bit more, care a little bit more. What could I do to begin to effect change in different areas in society? Because again, present truth addresses present issues. We address issues in our society. We don't ignore them. We don't do what everybody else does. We follow it according to the blueprints that God has given to us. Family, you got the books. It's just we like having it on our shelf to say, look at what we have. But you got to read it. And then you got to pray for God's spirit that you can apply it. God has already told us what to do. Read the book Welfare Ministry. He's going to tell you what to do. Read the book Ministry of Healing. He's going to tell you what to do. You don't have to try all these new gimmicks and all these concepts. Again, I am not here as an advocate for the, the Lives Matter movement. It doesn't matter. Black Lives Matter, white, blue, animals' lives. I'm not here to put any of them down. Let them do what they do. Just remember, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We have a higher cause. We deal with the root, which is the sin issue, but we have to get to the heart so we can get to that point. Now, what can we do? Number one, get educated. Learn the indicators of human trafficking on the tip offices website or by taking a training human trafficking awareness training is available for individuals businesses first responders law enforcement educators federal employees among others it's out there all you got to do is care to look for it seek it you'll find it if you are in the united states and believe someone may be a victim of human trafficking call the 24-hour national human trafficking hotline so you even have phone numbers and whatnot actually care because sometimes you might see it again volunteer and support anti-trafficking efforts in your community. Some of you may or may not know, um, I, did a, I did about 50-something programs on 3ABN, and um, we did this, this uh, apologetic defense of, of the present truth doctrine with myself, another, I, how many of you know Ivor Myers? You know Ivor? Uh, myself, Ivor Myers, uh, there was a young lady by the name of Nefer, and then a gentleman named Lance, Lance Wilbur. Lance has actually started the ministry. They're in New England. They started a ministry where now they're helping women who are leaving sex trafficking and providing housing and education and support to help them become wonderful citizens in society. And today, there's a ministry that's in existence to do that. You can support that. You can become part of that. I'll leave you my email, and then you can get in touch with me. I'll get you in touch with Brother Lance. We can do more than what we realize. Let me bring this out. Now we got down to seconds. 
participate. In Mark 9:40, remember he that is not against us is on our part. You are not abandoning Adventism because of the fact that you might work with an organization that's already doing it. Okay? Maybe if you can't create it, maybe work in partnership with somebody who's already doing it. There are ministries out there. There are people. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the WCTU, the Women's Christian Temperance Union. They were non-Seventh-day Adventists. They existed in the day of Ellen White. Interestingly, there are some writings from the Loma Linda messages in relation to the WCTU. Here's what it says. We need at this time to show a decided interest in the workers of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. None who claim to have a part in the work of God should lose interest in the grand object of this organization in temperance lines. It would be a good thing if at our camp meetings we should invite the members of the WCTU to take part in our exercises. This would help them to become acquainted with the reasons of our faith and open the way for us to unite with them in the temperance work. If we will do this, we shall come to see that the temperance question means more than many of us have supposed. Gospel Workers 384, paragraph 2. It's okay to sometimes work with other organizations that are already doing that work, and we only work with them in the good work that they're doing for whatever that mission is. If they eat pig, we don't eat pig. You understand that? If they listen to worldly music, we don't listen to worldly music. If they come together to watch pay-per-view, ultimate fighting or whatever, we don't sit down and watch that stuff. You get it? We don't participate in that which is wrong, but we can work with them in that which is right. Amen? The last thing is to create. Remember, Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise curious works, to work in gold and in silver, and of course, in closing, to make any manner of cunning work. The bottom line is, God can give you power to create something. Some of you are naturally creative. Some of you are phenomenal with ideas. Pray. Say, Lord, what could I do right in this area? Whether it be a new work or an old work to be revived. In either case, God can use you, family. Remember, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Remember these principles, beloved. Present truth is practical. Present truth is truth for this time. To show what is here and what is near to come. It only addresses that which affects our salvation, and it always addresses present issues, just like our beloved Savior did. Question, how many of us understood our study? How many of us, by the grace of God, are willing to say, Lord, as I am willing to take on, to embrace, to believe present truth by your grace, show me how to do it in a more practical way that I can touch those that are around me, and they can see that we are not an irrelevant, but we are a relevant church. If you're willing to do that, please stand to your feet with me. I want to have a word of prayer with you. And I want to say thank you to all of us here at Advent Hope for granting that additional time so we can cover those final closing points. I believe that God is going to do things that's going to bring transformation. But remember the one thing that makes transformation work. What is that one word? Cooperation. cooperation. May we cooperate with the voice of God's spirit as he speaks to us. And may we be faithful even unto death. For it is then and only then we shall receive our crowns of life. Let's pray together.
Our loving Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for the time that we were able to spend. We are grateful, dear God, for the way your spirit has truly spoken to our hearts. And you have challenged us, Lord, to see that present truth is practical and that we must practice it even in our various communities where we are centered. And Lord, I pray that you might give wisdom, knowledge, understanding, ideas and interest and love to every precious soul that heard your voice today. And may this area of Loma Linda never be the same. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.